Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. In today's podcast, I speak with Sean Eek about schizophrenia and social work. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, schizophrenia is a chronic, severe, and disabling brain disorder that in any given year affects one in a hundred Americans over the age of 18. The term schizophrenia was coined by Eugene Bleuler from the Greek roots schizen, meaning to split, and phren, or phren, meaning mind. So schizophrenia literally means split mind. But because of the etymology of the word, schizophrenia is commonly misrepresented as a split personality, or in clinical terms, dissociative identity disorder. The confusion between these two disorders is commonly found in the popular press and is perpetuated in jokes, such as in this parody of a popular children's rhyme. Roses are red, violets are blue, I'm schizophrenic, and so am I. This children's rhyme makes schizophrenia sound like a simple confusion or perhaps some funny condition. But far from being funny, schizophrenia is a severely disabling disorder. The symptoms of schizophrenia fall into three broad categories. Positive symptoms are easy-to-spot behaviors not seen in healthy people and usually involve a loss of contact with reality. Positive symptoms can come and go. Sometimes they're severe and at other times hardly noticeable, depending on whether the individual is receiving treatment. They include hallucinations, delusions, thought disorders, and disorders of movement. Hallucinations can be auditory, that would be hearing voices that others don't hear, visual, seeing things that others don't see, or tactile, feeling things that aren't actually there, such as ants crawling on your arm. Delusions are false personal beliefs that are not part of the person's culture and do not change even when other people present proof that the beliefs are not true or logical. In the movie A Beautiful Mind, John Nash, played by Russell Crowe, had delusions that communists were sending secret messages through the newspaper and that government agents were following him. Thought disorders are characterized by difficulties processing thoughts. For example, if you say hello to someone with schizophrenia and it takes them hmm, three or four minutes to respond, it's possible that their thoughts were being blocked or the responses were getting garbled in their head. The last positive symptom is called disorders of movement. And these are the involuntary movements, the odd facial expressions, or unusual mannerisms that people with schizophrenia sometimes display. These also include repetitions of certain motions over and over, or in extreme cases, a state of immobility and unresponsiveness known as catatonia. The, the second broad category of symptoms is called negative symptoms. So the first one was positive, and this is negative. And these don't have anything to do with good or bad. They're not judgments. Um, positive refers to things that are present, and, and negative uh, represent sort of a loss or a decrease in the ability to uh, do things that people normally can do, such as initiate plans, speak, express emotions, or even find pleasure in everyday life. These symptoms are usually harder to recognize as part of the disorder and can be mistaken for laziness or depression. Um, so, again, the, the term negative symptoms not used to label symptoms that negatively impact a person's life, but rather um, it refers to reductions in normal emotions and behavioral states. Uh, 
the 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 positive symptoms are commonly understood to negatively impact someone's life even more than the negative symptoms. Go figure. The third category um, is called cognitive symptoms, and and these are really considered to be perhaps the most disabling of the three categories with regards to um, developing relationships and, and sustaining social interactions. These cognitive symptoms, also known as cognitive deficits, are problems with attention, certain types of memories, and the executive functions that allow us to plan and organize. The combination of positive, negative, and cognitive symptoms can make people with schizophrenia fearful and withdrawn and cause difficulties when they try to have relationships with others. In today's podcast, I speak with Sean Eek. As a doctoral student, Sean worked with uh, one of the, the greats in the field of schizophrenia research, the late social worker Jerry Hogarty, professor of psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh. Sean worked with Jerry on cognitive enhancement therapy, a psychosocial treatment for the remediation of cognitive deficits in people with schizophrenia. In today's podcast, we're going to set the stage with a conversation about the basics of schizophrenia. Just as a, a point of full disclosure, Sean and I are in the same doctoral cohort at the University of Pittsburgh School of Social Work. I consider Sean a good friend, and I really enjoyed our conversation about schizophrenia. So, without further ado, here is a conversation with Sean Eek and schizophrenia and social work. So, Sean, first question, what is schizophrenia? Uh, that's a very good question to start on. It's, uh, I mean, officially defined uh, by the DSM. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. That's, that's, that's right. Uh, <laughs> you'll have to excuse me for all the acronyms I may be using. Well, this. I might jump in so uh, we get some clarification please, for our listeners. There please, you go. Do. Uh -huh. please do. Please um, do. So uh, anyway, it's uh, you know, officially defined as a collection of symptoms, like, like all of the mental disorders that we um, work with in social work. Uh, uh, it's really just a constellation of signs and symptoms. Now, schizophrenia, there are symptoms that are uh, very specific. It's a class of what's known as the psychotic disorders, which, um, you know, used to be these things were grouped into uh, disorders of psychosis and disorders of neurosis, um, where neurosis had to do with, you know, depression, anxiety, and whatnot. Psychosis had to do with the disorders that sort of represent kind of a break with reality, uh, interpretation of stimuli that, you know, isn't there, or severe confusion and, and difficulty using language and uh, formal thought disorder. Schizophrenia is under that sort of broad framework. It has some specific symptoms uh, that uh, people use to diagnose the disease. I won't go over every single one of them. You know, the, the hallmark symptoms of schizophrenia really um, are um, uh, is what's known as the uh, positive category of symptoms, the uh, hallucinations and delusions. Um, a uh, hallucination um, is really um, sort of uh, the brain's interpretation of some sort of stimuli that isn't actually there in the external sort of shared reality um, of everybody else. Um, this is most frequently uh, experienced by people hearing voices. Um, there's many different types of voices you could hear in schizophrenia. Sometimes they comment on each other. Sometimes they comment on you. Sometimes they tell you what to do. Sometimes they're just passive and they don't really make sense. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a broad array of, of voices people could possibly hear that could be indicative of 
someone having schizophrenia. There's also uh, hallucinations associated with every other sensory modality um, uh, from sight to uh, touch, but uh, by far the most common are uh, these uh, auditory hallucinations. Uh, uh, second behind that are, are visual hallucinations. Well, it's interesting because I think in the popular media, uh, it's the visual hallucinations that seem to get all the play. People yes, are like, yes. oh, I'm seeing, what was it, um, Robin Williams and the Fisher King, you know, seeing somebody on a horse riding towards him. Uh, Hollywood has a tendency to uh, over-dramatize what it's like to have schizophrenia and paint a, a somewhat unreal picture of even what visual hallucinations might be like. Um, so oftentimes, I think our, our patients report them being um, much less diffuse than uh, sort, of, uh, a sort of concrete picture of something doing something to you, like a person riding in on a horse. Uh, they're much more, usually much more nebulous than that. Uh, not to say that that's uh, completely impossible or never happened. But it's certainly more compelling yes. in a blockbuster movie to have somebody riding towards you on a horse. It does It does make for uh, interesting storytelling. <laughs> now, you mentioned positive symptoms. I just want to uh, uh, say when you say positive symptoms, does that mean something that's good? It, it does not mean good. Uh, as, as anyone who experienced them will tell you, um, it, it does not mean that they're good. Now, now some people... Uh, with schizophrenia have uh, hallucinations that are less aversive and, and even they may come to depend on uh, and enjoy. But for the most part, I, people will agree that their hallucinations are at the very least annoying, at the most you know, very detrimental to their lives. Positive is just uh, kind of a misnomer uh, and uh, just refers to uh, sort of an ex excess in function. In this case, uh, an excess in the brain responding to something that's not there. That's why they call it a, a positive symptom because it represents more than what sort of you have normally. Uh, to contrast that, uh, you know, schizophrenia is not only marked by, quote-unquote, positive symptoms, but uh, also uh, what's known as negative symptoms. Uh, we, we name things, uh, you know, pretty simply in schizophrenia <laughs> research, uh, positive and negative, even though they may not make a whole lot of sense. Uh, as positive symptoms represent sort of an excess in uh, sort of sensory function, negative symptoms represent uh, some uh, sort of inhibition or um, digress in function. These are usually characterized, I mean, they can become very severe. Uh, in many cases, uh, but they're usually characterized by uh, symptoms of sort of a flat affect, so speaking um, with uh, sort of very little affect in your voice, um, uh, presenting with very little affect in your facial expressions, individuals, it was called sort of affective flatting or affective blunting of affect. Um, there's also um, uh, a lack of mo severe lack of motivation that's uh, characteristic of, an, of what we call negative symptoms. Symptoms. Um, there's also problems with poverty of speech, so uh, being able to not being able to produce um, uh, sort of language as fluently as uh, you know other people, um, and you you, know, you see this category is to some degree a little more easy to understand than the positive symptoms, and just in terms of its name, all of these represent really a kind of a loss of function, whether it has to do with you know a, a lowering of speech, a lowering of affect interpretation or expression, uh, and so on. So those are the positive and negative symptoms. Are there any other characteristics of schizophrenia? Those are the big two. Schizophrenia is a remarkably heterogeneous disorder. What um, do you mean when you say heterogeneous? No two people with schizophrenia look alike. All right. Oh. So, uh, and not just in appearance. I mean, in their symptom presentation. The disorder is usually made up by a constellation of different symptoms 
from positive to negative symptoms. There's also uh, symptoms of disorganization, formal thought disorder. Um, individuals can present with what's been termed as word salad, which is uh, essentially speaking and although words are coming out, they make no coherent sense uh, and don't logically form sentences. Just to interrupt, whenever I think of uh, word salad, I think of something that Steve Martin once said. Oh, yeah. uh, He said, uh, you know, if you want to have fun, you teach kids to speak wrong. That way, when they are in first grade and they want to go to the bathroom, they raise their hands and they say, Membo dog face with a banana patch. That That is that is word salad <laughs> to a T. Yes. Steve Martin hit, hit it right. Hit it right. Absolutely. Exactly. I completely forgot to mention delusions, of course, as an important positive symptom that uh, you would want to know about when you're diagnosing schizophrenia. Um, it's uh, frequently associated with the hallucinations people do have. Um, and uh, delusions are, are really sort of um, beliefs, uh, oftentimes uh, of unusual nature um, and sort of sort of extraordinary phenomena that have little uh, supporting evidence or really no supporting evidence uh, in sort of everyday life and basic reality. Individuals uh, believing that sort of aliens have come, uh, you know, to them in their sleep and uh, put some sort of transmitting device in their head that, um, you know sends information to the FBI or the CIA uh, would be example of a uh, paranoid delusion, for example. Delusions do, most often are paranoid in nature, uh, although not always. Um, so individuals can also have uh, delusions that they have extraordinary powers uh, that uh, sort of all contrary evidence kind of suggests that they probably do not. Um, and uh, oftentimes these delusions are associated with uh, the voices or uh, other types of hallucinations these people are experiencing. And so they kind of work hand in hand. Um, some interesting work has been done to try to understand why people with schizophrenia you know, develop delusions. Um, and uh, it turns out uh, such individuals seem to be prone to... Um, uh, kind of a, a gross misinterpretation of kind of anomalous experiences, um, sort of experiences that don't make a lot of sense. And if if you think about you know how you might react just yourself to the anomalous experience of hearing voices chatting in your head that are not your own, um, you, you would probably try and make an explanation of that and kind of spin a story about that. And depending on what they're telling you, your story might be very strange. Um, and uh, even though everybody else would tell you that your story was wrong, uh, you still hear these things in your head and you, and you want to explain them. You know, it seems like a lot of times uh, delusions may, uh, in fact, be, you know, sort of very related to the hallucinations these people experience as, as really a method to some degree to kind of cope with them and explain, you know, sort of kind of unexplainable and anomalous experiences. It's really interesting because I, I know this idea of hearing voices is something that can be confusing, if, you know, when social workers first start start out because we all have chatter inside our head. Sure. Um, and so how do you distinguish chatter from something that's actually problematic? Sure, sure. Um, so, I mean, we all have uh, kind of an, an internal dialogue that we keep with ourselves, um, uh, you know, through the course of the day and, and you know, most mostly all the time. Uh, uh, but we all kind of know it's us uh, to some degree. Um, and uh, people with schizophrenia, 
they think it's someone else uh, oftentimes. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's, that's a pretty good beginning sign that there's a problem. Um, another uh, sort of kind of telltale sign is, you know, if you not, not only if you think it's maybe not you, but it could be someone else, uh, but if you kind of can't stop it, I mean, most of us can have, we may not have complete volitional control over our sort of internal dialogue, but most of us could, uh, you know, kind of put the brakes on it if we really needed to um, and uh, really divert our attention you know, externally um, uh, to whatever we need to focus on. Uh, individuals with schizophrenia that hear voices have, you know, a, a big problem trying to do that. Um, and uh, it's probably a good sign that you're, you know, lapsing into probably an auditory hallucination rather than just talking to yourself. Um, it's, it's interesting. Some of the uh, neuroimaging research that's been done uh, in schizophrenia suggests that um, the same types of areas of the brain uh, that uh, quote unquote light up uh, or, or become activated uh, when we're talking to ourselves uh, and processing um, uh, auditory information are also uh, activated when uh, these people are, are hearing voices. Um, so, uh, you know, they're not just responding to stimuli they've made up. I mean, at a very basic biological uh, and physical level, they're hearing information. Their brain is processing some type of auditory information. Uh, and so they can't just stop that. All right? I mean, it's, 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 it's a hardwired process to some degree. So if I was working with somebody with schizophrenia and they talked about you know, hearing voices, then it would be important for me to, to clarify what exactly that meant because it could be that they're not hearing hearing voices in the sort of uh, psychotic sense yes they could just be talking about the fact that they got a lot of stuff going on and they keep thinking about what do I need to do today you know blah 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 it's 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 definitely um, uh, in, important to clarify even if someone is hearing what you are pretty sure to be an auditory hallucination. It's always good to clarify the nature of that um, because they have several. They have pretty good prognostic value. Uh, different types of of auditory hallucinations. When you say prognostic hear. value, what do you mean? Um, okay, so depending on what people hear um, and and the types of voice they're hearing, it'll tell you to some degree how well these people are going to be doing, and maybe even how well they might respond to some type of medicine in the future. Um, so uh, there's some types of I only say that because there's some types of auditory hallucinations that we know um, are really particularly uh, problematic and really tell, uh, you know, kind of foretell a particularly problematic story that people with schizophrenia might experience. And these are, these are what are known as, quote-unquote, command hallucinations. And a command hallucination is a hallucination uh, that you have, an auditory hallucination that you have that is telling you to do something. It's giving you commands. It's telling you to do something. And oftentimes the commands aren't good. Um, and we know for these for these individuals, while while very few people with schizophrenia are violent, uh, for the individuals that hear command hallucinations, we know that their risk for doing something of violence in nature or doing something that you know really is uncharacteristic of of the general population and and the population of people with schizophrenia in general uh, is much more elevated than the people that hear just kind of a running running commentary in their head or hear an occasional you know boo uh, in terms of a voice um, we know that that these people with command hallucinations have much more difficulty and are much more likely to have a you know severe course of the illness and and problems with violent behavior in the future. 
I'm going to switch the subject just a little bit. Why should social workers be interested in understanding schizophrenia? And, and, and a related question, what's, what's the role of, of the social worker in working with people with schizophrenia? Sure, sure. Um, well, on a, on a very practical level, uh, if you're a social worker working in a community mental health center, these are who you'll be seeing. Uh, you'll be seeing people that are experiencing schizophrenia, uh, that uh, oftentimes who have been suffering from the illness for many years. Um, and so uh, social workers should care for, if, for no other reason uh, because these are the people that you will be helping and serving in a community mental health center. Um, now, of course, uh, uh, social workers, I think, have a much uh, so, sort of more you know, noble purpose uh, in working with people with schizophrenia uh, beyond the fact that they'll be seeing them in treatment. Um, and that's uh, that if we talk about, you know, all the different types of people who have mental illness and all the different mental illnesses that are out there, um, I think it's probably pretty safe to say that people with schizophrenia are, are most in need of an advocate. They're most in need of someone to help stand up for them, uh, most in need of someone to support them. Um, and they are oftentimes fall through the cracks in our systems. Uh, so we'll see, you know, many times is, of course, uh, certainly a stereotype associated with homelessness and, uh, you know, being psychotic or, or having schizophrenia or hearing voices. Um, and uh, so social workers, uh, with their knowledge not only of mental health treatments and diagnosis, uh, but at a, at a broader, more system level, um, are really in a, a very well-equipped position uh, to help people with schizophrenia in, in a number of different ways. Um, in uh, you know by providing direct treatment, by advocating for better treatment, by advocating for better social services, by helping these individuals when they're being taken advantage of, which happens very often. Um, particularly, you know, people with schizophrenia receive a uh, social, uh, of course, a disability uh, payment, uh, and uh, oftentimes uh, people will try and take advantage of them to sort of coerce them to give their disability payment to them or fork it over. Um, family members can do that on occasion, although oftentimes family members are nothing but helpful uh, when it turns turns into working with people with schizophrenia. They can be one of your greatest allies and resource, not only for, for the person that experienced the illness, but also for the social worker that's really uh, trying to help them. And we did a podcast uh, earlier um, with Carol Anderson, who developed a uh, treatment called family psychoeducation that really brings the family together um, with uh, the family member with 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 schizophrenia, for example, yeah. um, as as one of the treatments. Um, the grand the grandmother of schizophrenia, <laughs> Carol, uh, Dr. Anderson is an excellent uh, treatment researcher and schizophrenia researcher. What are the other treatments that are that are out there for for schizophrenia? So, I mean, if we if we just have to divide them broadly. Um, you know, because there's a lot of them. They fall into two groups. Uh, one is a pharmacological approach, uh, medicine, uh, particularly antipsychotic medication, um, so of which there's lots of different kinds, of course. And then the other one, uh, which is the one that social workers provide, um, not that they should not know anything about psychopharmacology. Of course, it's, it's very important uh, to know something about that. But the other uh, type of treatment is a psychosocial treatment, which ranges from therapy to family psychoeducation, which is, as I'm sure Carol explained, kind of a misnomer. It's, uh, you know, education about the illness. It's not, uh, you know, sort of psychoeducation or whatever. 
There's also uh, sort of uh, more systemic models like assertive community treatment, uh, which um, was a very interesting approach developed by a social worker, um, a psychosocial approach to uh, help people with schizophrenia live outside of the hospital. Uh, so particularly the people that had been in state hospitals for many years, um, rather than uh, making them stay in the hospital, uh, let's let them live in the community and kind of bring the hospital to them. And so they called it Hospital Without Walls, um, which was uh, a, a very effective approach. Uh, it's uh, been disseminated in a number of places now. There are um, several individual uh, therapeutic approaches. Um, one uh, that we've been working on here at the University of Pittsburgh uh, that focuses on improving cognition in schizophrenia. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of the symptoms that we didn't really talk about much. Um, and uh, it's a symptom that actually most people don't talk about much when they think of schizophrenia. I, I highlighted the two biggies, uh, the uh, positive and the negative symptoms. But we've recently turned our attention to uh, these cognitive symptoms uh, and have been trying to develop uh, treatments for them um, for a number of reasons. Perhaps the most important is uh, even if um, we completely reduce or, or remove uh, a person's uh, po uh, positive symptoms, hallucinations and delusions, of which uh, antipsychotic medications can be very effective at doing, many indiv individuals with schizophrenia still experience great disability. Um, and uh, which, which was, I think, you know, to some degree puzzling uh, to people uh, some years ago um, that really kind of the hallmarks of psychosis would be remitted, um, but these individuals would have still have difficulty uh, getting a job and uh, maintaining friends and, uh, uh, you know, sort of building a quality of life that most of us would consider to be kind of even minimally sufficient. Some people started looking um, at uh, the various aspects of schizophrenia and um, uh, discovered that the disease uh, really was characterized kind of by a core a core deficit in um, in thinking in cognition um, that really kind of fell across two different domains um, and that really helped us understand why uh, these individuals are continuing to have difficulty and struggling in life even after positive symptoms have gone away um, and uh, the two dimensions of cognitive problems that people with schizophrenia tend to experience are um, one area is called neurocognition, uh, which uh, is kind of the area of cognition that you think about uh, when you think about thinking problems in general, problems with attention, problems with memory, problems with the quote-unquote executive functions, which is really being able to solve problems. Um, and so these are all kind of basic neurocognitive processes that people need to get on with their everyday life, to remember a phone number, to pay attention to a conversation, so on and so forth. Um, and so it turns out that that's, that's a big problem in schizophrenia. Uh, people with schizophrenia perform, on average, two standard deviations below the mean of healthy individuals, right? So that's, that's, that's very poorly. Um, and this has nothing to do with their intellect, uh, it's not to say that people with schizophrenia are not smart. Many of them have above average IQs. These have to do with basic cognitive processes that you need to get on with your daily life um, and that you need to put one foot in front of the other and be able to you know, make sense of the world and uh, engage in complex problem-solving and information processing. So you're suggesting that if somebody with schizophrenia is walking down the street and somebody says, hey, how are you doing? and they have a hard time responding, it might not be because they're actively hallucinating or they have paranoid delusions mm -hmm. or, or something else. You're suggesting that there is some, some, some cognitive deficits going on that are uh, separate 
from these other cluster of symptoms that we've been talking about that might prevent them from from interacting or engaging with with somebody on the street. Absolutely. So that's not to say that auditory hallucinations will keep you from, you know, will not keep you from engaging with people on the street. I mean, those are certainly big barriers. Um, But when we get those taken care of, or largely under control, you'll still see problems. Um, and you, and people with schizophrenia will t- still tell you, you know, I have, I'm still having trouble sort of f- concentrating and focusing and uh, remembering what I'm supposed to do every day and, and whatnot. Uh, so um, so there's, there is a basic core deficit in cognition in schizophrenia, um, one in this domain of neurocognition. Uh, there is another domain that's very recently become a major area of study uh, in schizophrenia research um, called social cognition. Um, and these are the kind of things that you do or think about to be able to act wisely in social situations. They're the kind of mental processes that you engage in to uh, be able to uh, interact with others effectively and process social information. Uh, for example, um, all of us has uh, the ability to recognize various social cues, uh, most often in people's faces, to let us know how they're doing and how they're responding uh, to whatever we're interacting with them and however we're talking with them. Uh, and people with schizophrenia have a profound deficit in being able to pick up these kinds of cues, um, and which you can only imagine. You know, look, if you can't, if you have difficulty remembering uh, and keeping track of things in a conversation, and you can't kind of tell how a person is reacting to it because you're having difficulty judging their facial expressions of emotion, then that puts you at a great disadvantage for building relationships, for interacting effectively, and being able to act wisely in social situations. Um, So these have become strong predictors of how people with schizophrenia are going to do and how people with schizophrenia are doing currently. Uh, And they're even stronger than the positive symptoms of the disorder, right? So those things are very important uh, and will certainly limit your ability to get along with others and function. But after it's all said and done and you get some good medicine and you get those taken care of, these are the res- some of the residual symptoms that are left that we need to focus on uh, in order to help these guys build a good quality of life and eventually recover from the disease. So that's a nice long digression <laughs> to what we've been up to here in Pittsburgh, uh, working on a, um, a therapy to improve cognition in schizophrenia. It's a psychosocial treatment developed by a, um, uh, a social worker by the name of uh, Jerry Hogarty, um, who has developed, you know, he's, he's, he's the king of psychosocial treatments in schizophrenia, um, has, has developed uh, these treatments for many, many years. His latest and kind of culmination of his work is cognitive enhancement therapy, uh, which, uh, as the name suggests, is a therapy designed to work on improving or enhancing cognition in schizophrenia. So there are a couple of things. One, uh, this idea that um, cognitive symptoms are perhaps more important than positive or negative symptoms, um, uh, or maybe that's overstating it. I think I think that probably probably is a little bit. I I, I don't want to paint the picture that positive symptoms are not important. They're very, they're very important. Uh, the good thing about them is they're generally responsive to treatment, uh, which means now that we can help people with those, we need to start working on the things that we haven't been able to help them with. So, so because we have medications um, that that can address these these positive symptoms, um, what you're talking about really is that 
it's kind of the next step mm -hmm. in the treatment of schizophrenia. And so if I were a social worker out there and I said, oh, okay, great, everything's great. My, you know, my client's doing well, taking her medication and, 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 you know, she's not hearing voices, you know, the paranoia is under control, everything's good to go. You're suggesting no. I would, I would certainly argue with that, right? So, I mean, I think the challenge for us as social workers um, is to not stop at, oh, they're taking their meds, you know, they haven't gotten into trouble lately, they're not hearing voices, they don't close the blinds all the time because they think the CI is after them. You know, for many years, that was like doing great uh, for people with schizophrenia. Um, and... The challenge for us is to begin to step beyond that because, you know, if all that we're doing is helping these people take their medicine uh, and helping these people, you know, feel a little less, uh, you know, influenced by their delusions, I think we're not doing enough. And I think, I think you know, the people that we serve would say, you know, I want a little something more than stability. I want a life. So one of the ways to do that that it sounds like you guys have been working on here in Pittsburgh is this treatment called cognitive enhancement therapy. And I think that would be a, uh, a great podcast to, to follow up on. Thanks so much for coming here and talking about schizophrenia and really sort of unpacking this idea, this disorder that, as you mentioned before, uh, looks different in everybody. It does. I'm Jonathan Singer, and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes, please visit socialworkpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our online store at cafepress.com slash swpodcast. To all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast.